Get in, loser. We're going to the movies. The first thing we need to get out of the way as we start this is just to acknowledge that Billy Burke is really hot. The hottest person in the film. The hottest person in the film is Charlie Bella's dad. I think so much of that has to do with the mustache. Oh, so dreamy. And also the fact that he is not wearing white foundation. Oh, yeah. He, like, looks like a normal human. Yeah. And is... A normal human. Which is hot. Yeah, like, Charlie's decisions and, like, his, the way he acts around people is so normal compared to everybody else that I'm just like, ah, yes, a person who doesn't (laughs) seem like a serial killer. I'm very interested. We're about it. Also, I think we're kind of at the age where, like, hot dads are just more attractive because you're like, oh, wow, this person, like, actually cares about other people. Because with the exception of 19-year-old Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You, high school students just can't be hot anymore. With the exception of Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You. Which is deeply uncomfortable because although he is legal in that movie, it's still not cool. No, he's just, but, like, everybody thinks that, you know? Everyone. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to, like, excuse problematic feelings. Because, again, he's 19. That's not actually that much younger than me. It's just, like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you just, you can't find people hot in this movie when you're an adult, except for Billy Burke. Except for Billy Burke, yes. We love him. We stand. Anyway, welcome to the Teen Wolf, Rewolf review Set. What are we? What were we calling this? Rewolf reviews. Yep. Rewolf reviews. I also thought about calling it Christian and Julia goes to the movies because that's like easier to say, but it's also a longer time. You know what? Welcome to the Team Wolf Rewolf, a podcast where we are going to talk about Twilight because it's our podcast and we can do what we want. Yep. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And should we just jump right in and do our review, our our um, our thirty our recaps? Yes. Recaps. For, for the sure. one minute. Yep. Yeah, one minute. 30 okay. seconds is what they do on Sacred Text, which is actually who I stole the idea from. So if you listen to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you should. It's wonderful. Um, we need way more than 30 seconds to to get through this movie, though. Yeah, we do. Also, just because we ramble. Like, we yeah. just can't actually get shit done in 30 seconds. <laughs> very true. Um, um, would you like to go first in recapping Twilight? Sure. I, can, right. I can go first. All right. Let me time you. If I can get to my time. <laughs> Found it. All right. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Uno, dos, tres. Okay, so Bella Swan decides to move from Phoenix to Forks, Washington, because her mom is flitting across the country with her uh, minor league baseball husband. She moves in with her dad, who is the sheriff of the town, and starts going to the Laval High School, as you do because she's a teenager. Meets uh, Edward Cullen, slash also some other high school friends. There is a strange, inexplicable, immediate attraction to them. Um, They try to fight it. She almost gets hit by a car. Um, but Edward saves her, and then they start dating. Um, there's a really great baseball scene, and during this baseball scene, these three evil vampires, which we've seen kind of tangentially before, come up, and they're like, ooh, human snack. So the whole rest of the movie is about protecting Bella, um, and she makes some really dumb decisions and runs off to the ballet studio by herself, where James, evil Cam Gajandit with a terrible wig, um, tries to murder her, but takes too long, so of course Edward gets there and saves her, and uh, we are led into the next movie with her in the hospital. Also, oh no, wait, prom. You got, you said prom right <laughs> as your clock ended. How can we forget the prom? How can we forget the prom? All right. Um, that's good. Yeah. I also think this movie is relatively uncomplicated. 
Well, because nothing happens. I would love to see the script for this movie because it's got to be like 20 pages. It's so... (laughs) Nothing... No one says anything. No. And not in the good way, like Drive. (laughs) Or like Mad Max Fury Road. That script would be like five pages long, but it's so So good. good, And this is like... (laughs) What happens? Um, Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Three, two, one. So we meet Bella Swan. She lives in Phoenix. Her mom wants to go on the road with her new stepdad, who's a minor league baseball player. So Bella goes to live with her dad in Forks, Washington. Forks is like a really tiny, boring town. She goes to her first day of high school, and people like are like kind of obsessed with her, but also kind of mean to her. And then she meets this guy named Edward, who like treats her really weird in biology class, but he's also very handsome, and she's like very into it. And then she starts finding all these weird things out about the Cullens from like her friends, and also like some of the um, people she meets on the Quilly Reservation. And then she finds out that he's a vampire, and she falls in love with him, and then he takes her on a date to play baseball, and while they're on their date playing baseball, um, some three evil vampires come up, and they're like, you brought a snack, which means something vastly different in 2018. <laughs> and then they hunt her back down to Phoenix, and Bella thinks she can save her mom by like going to meet the vampire herself, James, and then he tries to kill her, but then Edward shows up with his family, and they kill James, and Ed- she almost gets turned into a vampire, but Edward sucks up the venom, and then she wakes up in the hospital, and he's still there. And then they go to prom together, and we find out that Victoria, James' girlfriend, is there and hates her still. The end. The end. I think I did okay. I think you did too. Again, uncomplicated, but like also massively convoluted. It's really... Okay, let's... There's a lot. There's a lot. So let's break this down. There are things that we both like about Twilight, and a lot of things that we like desperately hate about Twilight. And I think before we just shit on this movie. <laughs> we should talk about the stuff that, like, kind of works. So, Julia, in your opinion, what works about Twilight? It's a beautiful movie. Gorgeous. It is so well shot. Like, not beautiful in, like, no, like, the romantic sense. Yeah. Beautiful in the, like, me-looking-think-pretty like way. If this were just a silent film about the Pacific Northwest, I'd be like, oh, this is beautiful. Yeah. I wouldn't care so much. Um... It's shot beautifully. Everything has a blue filter, which really tells you exactly how you're supposed to feel about, you know, the story being told. Um, the soundtrack is off the charts banging. It is so good. It is so good. Inexplicable. Like, there's no reason for this movie to have a soundtrack as good as it has. So, well, I mean, like, Team Wolf is on MTV, so all of this music is great. But I think we were so unused to hearing songs that we were like, so into in movies and this one is just like every single time yeah knock out of the park yes um and none of the other twilight movies were able to replicate that but also mm-hmm. going back to drive which has nothing to do with this movie a big part of what makes drive so good is how unbelievable the soundtrack is so when mm-hmm. there's nothing happening you still have like a, an emotional tie to like the language being used so like the first song i think you hear in drive is night call by kavinsky which like everyone loves mm-hmm. and Kaminsky never made another song after that I literally just think he's living off his drive royalties he's like a friend <laughs> he's, like he's like basically like an off-friend David Guetta he's just like a French DJ who made that song and everybody knows that song is eating the song from drive and it being really good and I kind of think that's how people feel a little bit about like Supermassive Black Hole and like Decode and stuff which mm-hmm. like ended up in the Twilight soundtrack and when people think about Twilight they're like oh yeah like Iron and Wine or whatever I really love the fact that they did include Muse because that's such a Stephanie Meyer influence where like that's one of her favorite bands which I think is super interesting I love the fact that like super religious people are really into like metal and music that you think that they would not be into um would you call Muse metal no I wouldn't but it's like not 
Christian rock, you know, or maybe, is it? No. No. No, it's there not. There is Christian metal, though. It totally exists. Oh, yeah. And it's actually kind of good. Like, some of it's kind of good. Oh, okay. Um, We're going to, I've never heard it, but I'm just going to take a big pass on that one right there. Yeah. I mean, if you're like, if you just ignore the whole Jesus is Lord part of it, it's like not bad music. But anyway, what do you like? I, we, we talked about the soundtrack, we talked about the filter, and when I defend this movie to people, which, like, listen, I don't think it's good, but it is one of my chicken soup movies where, like, if I'm just having a schmoo day, like, it's just kind of fun to sit there and watch, like, vampires do stuff, and the way I kind of p- pitch this to people, because they're always, like, really Twilight, which, like, yeah, really Twilight. Fair. It is kind of the perfect structured indie movie. It is set in the Pacific Northwest. The cinematography is beautiful. The soundtrack is banging. Everything is shot through a blue filter because it's cheaper to shoot shoot things in blue because you don't have to worry about what time of day it is. And, you know, it's kind of all of these, like, beautiful people. It's very set in its time. And when you think about indie movies, that's kind of how they all really are. And people kind of, when they think indie movies, really only think about, like, the big kind of, like, A24 stuff that really makes, like, big ground or whatever. But if you're just watching, like any random indie movie, it kind of has the same setup as, like, Twilight, where it's just, like, probably not a great script. The acting is probably, like, low budget, and (laughs) it's just kind of fun and silly to watch, or, like, sometimes really sad or whatever, but, like, Twilight is just an indie movie that ended up blowing up. Like, when Twilight was pitched, you know, and it was going to be Catherine Hardwick directing and all these people, whatever, like, it was tasked with almost no budget. It wasn't going to be this huge thing. And then the interest in the book pushed it to being this big blockbuster. But if you're just watching it through the lens of it being, like, a bad indie movie, solid B+. Plus. As a blockbuster, it's, like, a D-, minus. as an indie movie, pretty good. If aliens ever visited our planet, this is one of the things that I would love for them to watch without context, because I don't think any English-speaking person could be able to watch this film without having an understanding of, like, the Twilight craze, or perhaps when, like, the younger generation gets to a state where I want to hear their opinions about movies, like, I want to know how it stands for people who are completely removed from the book series, because we're not at all, um... I think they're really hard to separate. If you've read the books, yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who have seen Twilight have never read the book, you know? It's not like Harry Potter where, like, pretty much every, like, child who grew up our age had had at least read some of it. A lot of people just kind of watched the Twilight movies and were like, this is garbage and had nothing else to, like, they didn't understand the source material, which, like, the source material also sucks, but, like, Mm -hmm. I can see where we find it hard to disconnect the two, but I think a lot of people actually watch them disconnected. Yeah, but I do think that it was such of, like, a cultural craze that people had opinions on the Twilight books, even if they hadn't read them. Similarly to, like, The Hunger Games, where that blew up into such a huge thing, so even people who hadn't read them, like, have an opinion on them. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I just... It's so interesting to watch this movie 11 years after it came out. Yeah. Especially because the way that even we think about... The way that we think about, like, relationships changes in adulthood anyway, because, like, we're both adults who don't look at things through, like, 14-year-old brain or however old you were reading this. I was 14, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we obviously now are, like, ew, but also culture now is, like, ew, because the way we talk about, like, possessiveness in relationships and, like, kind of manipulation and, like, we talked about the, the gaslighting scene, which we can talk about in a second. Mm. Like, we talk about these things so drastically different that it is really hard to be, like... 
yeah, this is like a romantic movie. Whereas yeah. like I, me watching it now, I obviously am not like Edward and Bella. I'm a little bit like ew, gross. But it's like nostalgia watching. So, well, I think kids these days, kids these days, <laughs> have things like Teen Vogue, which is leading the charge on like telling teenagers what they actually need to know about the world, like what gaslighting is and what are the signs of abusive relationships. And I have not read Seventeen magazine in a really long time, but I feel like there's such a shift in the way that teenagers consume media and like what they're being taught that I don't think that they would look at this and say, wow, I want an Edward, which was such a common sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> in 2008. There, and like, it wasn't even, it was like a sentiment of like, not even just like wanting an Edward. It wasn't like about like wanting somebody to like be, possessive over you it was like a little bit like wanting to be saved kind of which Mm -hmm. was like a really big part of kind of the way we looked at like the female characters in books back then was like don't worry a man's gonna save her but also like re-being saved we talked about this yesterday like like Stephanie Meyer who litters this book with like weird religious propaganda does kind of make Edward an angel in like demon form which is very strange and like that is what was like kind of like um like what you wanted out of it when you're 14 you're like oh, I want this like somebody to come and make my life interesting or whatever because you're 14 so you're like yeah. so anyway like it's such a common trope to have like the beautiful boy be the most terrible boy I'm like sitting here thinking of all of the yaw books that I've read where that is such the case mm-hmm. and uh it continues even through now yeah like, all of the yaw all of the, yeah. So I feel like we've really shifted into what we don't like about this movie in this conversation. Oh, yeah, well, let's talk about what we do like. Um, something I do like is the human characters. Mm-hmm. And with the exception of Bella, because she's not really human. She's mostly just like a fish. <laughs> like, she just never You slapped a fish. <laughs> you slapped a fish. You've never seen the bad lip reading of Twilight. Pause this, go watch it, and come back. We're not going to reference it all that often. It's just something you need to see. It is true cultural high art. art. It is so good. Yeah. Um, and not all the bad liberties are good. I would say that one and Empire Strikes Back are the only good ones. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Back is the other song. Yeah. Um, all of the human characters, I think, and like when you have so little space to like be a human in this movie, because again, the dialogue is absolutely garbage, and like there's not a lot of attention paid to her friends in the script, which is paid in the books. Like we get a little bit more of everybody's personality in the books about like her human friends, her high school friends. We also see a lot more of like why they would like Bella because she's not as terrible a friend in the book as she is in the movie. Oh yeah, she actually seems to genuinely like those people as opposed to in the movie where she's just like, mm, I guess I'll go to them all. But only because I want to go to this bookstore. And then I'm going to ditch you guys and yeah. not say yes to your prom dress yeah. or whatever. Is it, it, she, Bella's a bad friend. Bella is a bad friend. She's like one of those girls who's like, I've never really had a lot of girlfriends and I don't know why. Girls don't like me. And I'm like, you're giving girls every reason not to like you. It's because you wear bowling shirts. No, it's not because <laughs> the bowling shirts. It's because like not being enthusiastic over the fr- things that your friends are enthusiastic about. Even if you don't care. My friends could be like, oh my god, did you hear about this thing? And even if it's something I'm like... I literally couldn't care about. I'll be, like, really excited for them being excited. And Bella can't do that. Um, But, no, the human characters in this movie are, like, very normal. And they all have, like, little bits about them that, like, make them, like, a little pathetic in the way that you are in being a teenager. But also make them very sympathetic. Like, 
the fact that Jessica is, like, so in love with Mike, and you just see it in, like, random sort of glances of her, like, staring at him, and, like, that is, like, a really good choice by Catherine Hardwick that she actually kind of shows you a little bit of mm-hmm. Jessica, like, pining over him, like, shows you that, like, Mike is somebody who people are interested in, so it doesn't make his interest in Bella seem like he's just some nerd who's like, please date me, you know, he's, like, probably a pretty popular, interesting guy. Yeah. Um, and that whole thing is, is like, really cute and, like, kind of sad for Jessica, but also, like, that does happen in high school where, like, the person you like likes your friend and, like, and also in life, but, like, more in high school because you're all hanging out with the same people. Um, like, that bit's cute. The fact that Eric is also interested in her, but in a way where he, like, they're both, like, a little bit, like, trying to get on her good side, but never in a way where they're being creepy or pushy to her, you know? They just, I think they are genuinely sweet kids who, yeah. like, I, I have no idea how many people are supposed to be at Forks High School, but I would guess it's probably not over, like, 300 for the entire high school. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that there's this new girl who doesn't know anyone, like, they're so invested in making sure that she has a place to sit at lunch, and it's so sweet. Yeah. Like, you were talking about how this is an an indie film and like I think that the high school stuff is really well done and I want to get into that later but like the thing that I keep thinking about is um the Richard Linklater film Dazed and Confused which is just set like during the day in the 1970s in Texas and like the thing that's so interesting about that movie is because it's just the minutiae of high school and high school friendships and I think I would have loved to see more of the human characters in this film which is totally not what it's about but it's so well done mm-hmm. that if this had been an entirely different movie and it had just been about like the high school in Forks I think I still would have been interested yeah or if it had been about like if the vampire characters in this movie actually committed to their role of being high school students mm-hmm. and tried to like engage and invest with other people like in the vampire diaries the whole ish is that these vampires do kind of walk amongst the humans and relate to them in ways where like it's like normal like they're clearly weird and like hundreds of years old but like the idea is that they're committing to playing this role of being part of society and that makes it more interesting yeah whereas the cullens they they're at high school but they sit at their own table at lunch and like dress ridiculously dress ridiculously and they're just mean to the people around them which is like the people around them have no control over the fact that they're not hundred year old vampires (laughs) like be nice be nice yeah. Um, so we, we like the high school aspects, but just the human aspects. Like, mm-hmm. we both talked about how, like, even aside from just thinking Billy Burke is, like, a total hottie, <laughs> he is somebody who we kind of like in this movie because he is, like, just somebody's, like, functioning alcoholic police dad. There's, there's a scene where he's polishing his shotgun with a beer, essentially, and normally that would make me, like, recoil and be really uncomfortable, but there's just something so endearing about the fact that his teenage daughter has come to live with him for the first time since she was, like, five years old, and she wants to be there, and he is, like, so dedicated to making sure that she has a good life there, Mm -hmm. and part of that is protecting her from boys, and I just find that so endearing. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily like the idea of anybody having control over anybody, over, like, a young girl's love life, either Edward or Charlie, but I don't think that that's necessarily, like, he lets her go on that date, and he's very worried for her when she when she comes home. Yeah. I don't think it's a control thing. I think it's just a, I don't want her to get hurt on my watch. Yeah. Kind of an issue. Um, Because he's a cop. Totally. And I also think, like, we see moments of, like, 
Charlie doing things for her that, like, he doesn't necessarily know how to express that he's looking out for, but just kind of does it anyway. Mm. So in the in the movie, when it, they have that really sleety, slushy day before the car crash in the parking lot, he puts new tires on her truck so that she can have a safe drive to school. And he tells her that in the movie, and they kind of have a moment where they're not really sure how to, like, thank each other. But, like, obviously he's going to look out for her because... He's her dad, you know, her, mm-hmm. her life is his number one priority in keeping safe because that's what your job is as a parent. Mm-hmm. But in the book, and I actually think this is really sweet, Charlie puts snow chains on her truck, but doesn't tell her. And so she has this like really kind of scary drive to school where she thinks she's going to slide on black ice and then can't figure out why she doesn't until she gets to school and is like, he put chains on my tires. Mm-hmm. And it's just a moment of like Charlie doing something unsaid, but like in a very loving way. It's such a mark of a good dad. Like, I, last year I moved to Massachusetts um, to, like, live in the middle of the woods for a job. Um, And my stepdad took my car into the shop and, like, had so much work done on it that I had not asked him to do or we had not talked about it. And not only did he have work done on my car, but he also, like, bought me snow tires before I moved because he was worried about me, like, living in the mountains with the snow. So, like, that's just such a lovely sweet dad thing to do because mm-hmm. dads don't talk about their feelings. Like yeah. it, ugh. And also like, let's talk about Charlie in the way like where Bella's mom sucks. Bella's a terrible mom and she's lived with her for the majority of her life, which, um, is hilarious and weird. Like you'd think that they would have had a discussion about this and decided that it was best for Bella to like stay in forks with a stable, if functionally alcoholic parent. No, I think her mom was stable and functioning. It's only after she meets Phil that she kind of decides she's done being a mom. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, I think that they probably had a very normal average life in Phoenix. You know, just single momming it, which happens to a lot of people or whatever. Where, yeah. You know, when Bella's mom left, she took Bella with her to be like, I'm going to be the, the primary caretaker of this child. It's just really weird that she kind of reneges on that decision because her... By the way, if Phil plays minor league baseball, that probably means he's, like, a lot younger than Bella's mom. Because you don't play minor leagues into your 40s. You have to get a real job because minor league baseball is, like, the number one way to be poor if you're not any kind of good. We don't get to see that actor really at all. He's just, like, standing far away at the trunk of their car. But he doesn't look like a young person. Nope. He looks 40. Yeah. But Bella's mom is basically like, well... Because of my relationship with my new husband, you can either come with us in this drastically unstable life while you're trying to graduate high school, or you can go live with your dad. And she has never, it looks like, it kind of seems like Bella never had, like, had, like, the option to live with her dad, or was never even, like, encouraged to spend more than, like, her summer holidays there. And it's really weird that all of a sudden Renee's like, bye. Bye. And Charlie steps up, and, like, Charlie, like, isn't a great dad by any means, but, like, he clearly is trying to create a life for Bella, like, of normalcy that, like, Renee was just kind of like, eh. I think the thing that really bugs me about that is that Bella's a junior. Mm-hmm. Renee just has to wait one more year, and then her daughter will be off at college, and it doesn't matter if she has to, like, move across the country for Phil's minor league baseball career, like... She just has to wait until her daughter graduates from high school. It's not hard. And, like, that is something that a lot of people do in their lives. Like, yeah. people being like, oh, my dad couldn't take this job until I graduated high school. Or we ha- he w- took, you know, we moved right after gr- middle school so I could send- spend all of high school in one place or something like that. Like, that is a decision you make for your family. And it's a decision people make for the family, like, 
Every day, you could probably name, name like eight of your friends who had that mm-hmm. happen to them. That's what makes good parents is that they. I think it's really important for parents to have their own lives, but like, when you have kids, that's your responsibility. And if you need to plan your life around the fact that you have kids, that's your job. Yeah. <laughs> and Renee's just like deuces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't care at all. So now that we're kind of talking about like parents and family. Let's break into the Collins. What do we like? What do we not like about the Collins? I think that Carlisle is a really interesting character, and I wish we kind of got more about his motivations um, in the movie because I haven't read the books in a long time, and I'm sure that we get more of that. But like, he's a vampire doctor, which is strange. Um, also, potentially super manipulative because if you're a doctor, you have access to all of these things and people and like blood like blood banks so it could be super manipulative but for him it's like this very altruistic i'm an immortal being and i have this like moral obligation to help other people which i think is super interesting um don't understand why the children are in high school they look like adults just get a job yeah or live in the middle of the woods and don't have a job it's not like you have to shop for groceries in town yeah like you could just you could be a totally normal recluse in the woods yeah which they kind of are like if the Collins engaged in like social niceties of forks if they went to like the fucking fourth of july barbecue or whatever like it would make sense for them to try to integrate their children the children quote unquote <laughs> into you know the social sphere of forks but because they don't do that stuff there's literally no point for them to be in high school None. And it's, yeah, they don't make friends. They also all date each other in high school, which is so weird. So weird. Like, to the point where, like, yes, obviously none of them are blood-related. They're all obviously way older than they look. They're not, you know. But their family structure is still that of sibling. Yeah, I mean, it's not weird because we, the audience, know what they are. But, like, if I were, if I went to Forks High School and I, like, knew about the Collins, I'd be like, that is crazy and weird, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I don't like it. I think there was, like, a post on Tumblr where it was, like, I think the reason why Forks just forgives the Collins is because every small town, like, has a cult, and they're just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just our cult, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they don't try to look normal at all. No. They're, ugh. The fashion in the whole movie is it's terrible. Horrendous. It is so bad. And here's the thing about the fashion being bad in this movie. If you are a vampire, you will know what stays timeless or, like, what the pendular, like, swing of fashion is. Because, obviously, like, right now we're in a phase of, like, super 90s clothes. And before that it was 80s. And, like, the kind of early 2000s was, like, a reflection on the 70s. And, like, a really weird metallic, strange, short pant kind of way. Like, everything comes in and out with fashion or whatever, but then there are staples that, like, remain timeless. And, like, men's fashion doesn't really change that much, as we know. No. But if you have seen that much of fashion, and, like, all of these vampires are, like, varying ages and were changed in different times. Like, I think Jasper's the, like, the obviously Carlisle's the oldest, but then, like, Jasper was the second oldest. But they're whatever. all roughly around 100 years old. No, I think Carlisle was changed in, like, the... Renaissance. Oh, no, I meant, like, the children. Oh, yeah. The ch- quote-unquote. Well, I mean, like, there's probably... There's a 50-year gap between Edward and Jasper. Yeah, but Edward's still, like, 100 years old. He's 100. So... 
but that would make Jasper 150. So I'm just like, it's, it's, I said yeah. minimum, like, yeah, okay. I meant minimally, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, so they, they don't for a while. so much of like, and they, they are clearly like people who engage in arts, like, they have all this art in their house, and like, they all like have these kind of high opinions of, of you know, culture, and yet none of them can dress in a way that is timeless, which doesn't make any sense to me. The there are lots of like egregious examples of this, but part of it, what's happening to me? Um, if the normal high school human people, they can dress terribly. That's fine. I dressed terribly in high school and I actually was in high school, like in 2008. So I get it. But like, there's one point in, in their home. Fair enough. It's like not at high school where Alice shows up and she's wearing a baby doll dress, which is like the epitome of the aughts fashion for women. And it's just a terrible silhouette on any person, but it's supposed to indicate that she's, like, a free spirit and, like, quirky and funny, which we've already gotten because Anna Kendrick literally told us that. Yeah. She's weird. So we don't need any more telegraphing. She just looks terrible. Yeah, because the baby doll dress is the numero uno way to look very pregnant. <laughs> like, And she's so small. She's it was so just, small. first of all, a disservice to the actress, and two, just bad. Also, what's wrong with an A-line dress, which literally never go out of style? They also don't wear any black, really. Which is weird, because black is also a number one way to look like you're in fashion, no matter what year it is. Mm-hmm, exactly. Also, it's very it's a very vampire thing to yeah. do, to wear black. They'll wear white, and I can see that being an interesting artistic decision if you didn't know what the makeup was going to look like, but because they're all plastered in white foundation and red lipstick, everyone's wearing <laughs> everyone. lipstick. Robert Pattinson has his eyebrows waxed to hell and lipstick on, and I'm like... I, I said this yesterday, and I don't want to offend anybody with this term, but all of the vampires are, like, exceptionally fey. I mean, it, I don't I don't find that offensive, but, you know, it, it, they're very ethereal, like, it, but in a creepy way. And I, it, it's, like, very, like, strangely effeminate and, like, weird that with the, the idea of beauty and vampiredom is... Effeminence and... Like, you mentioned something last night when we both had too much wine about um, marble and the fact that, like, Stephanie Meyer describes the vampires as, like, being marble statues, which is traditionally how, like, the divine are presented to us in art. So it is this weird implication of, like, vampires are sort of demented angels and that is how they like lure you in and Edward talks about like being the perfect predator blah 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 but like they're angels they're angels yeah I mean this goes back to like the Mormon propaganda of mm-hmm. this book series and this movie is like Stephanie Meyer as somebody who's religious and I think like people all of western vampire mythology is based in like Christian theology as I think everybody can kind of tell and know um and so Stephanie Meyer, who is writing this from like a very Christian perspective, and but wants the vampires to be like sympathetic, mm-hmm. has to write them as angels, as we mm-hmm. talked about. Well, what I think is interesting about the art direction of like their costumes and the way that they look, I think that of all the vampire media that I can personally think of, what that borrows from the most is Interview with a Vampire from 1994. Like Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in that movie are beautiful and like they have this long flowing hair and they're very pale and they dress very sumptuously. Like I think that it borrows so much from that and I don't know how how intentional that was, but that's what it makes me think of. Mm-hmm. Like 
Interview with a Vampire, but for 2008. Yeah. But it's also, like, a very, like, it, I don't think it borrows from it well. No. It's, it's like the dinosaur <laughs> version of Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. And, like, I almost feel like, and you can have characters who are, like, made to be, like, beautiful and eternal and, like, even, like, fem- strangely feminine and have them still be something that is, like, wonderful to look at. Like, I think a good example is, like, Legolas. But mm-hmm. the way that it's done in Twilight just makes them deeply uncanny. Like, there's nothing human about it. Whereas, like, there is, like... I mean, like, the elves in Lord of the Rings are, like... You obviously. can tell that they have, like, blood and flesh and they're actual living beings. And, like, which yearnings that are reflect that of humanity. Whereas, like, these vampires don't. You know? Yeah. And then, like, I think we're just eventually going to have to talk about, like, the virginity aspect of okay. this book. <laughs> Um, and, like, if this doesn't have to be, like, a major discussion, but it is something that everybody was commenting on at the fact. So, uh, let's start with that. So, Stephanie Meyer's a Mormon. Um. We know. We know. And, uh. <laughs> Which, there's nothing wrong with being no. a Mormon, or, like, if you believe in waiting for marriage, that's totally your choice. We are not shitting on religious choices here, um. I mean, I am always a little bit. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm I'm religious. I totally understand, like, where she's coming from. But I also think it's a super dangerous thing to be telling people not to have sex. And then also not giving them, like, information that will then help them have safe sex later on in life. Um, but a big part of this movie, and a big part of the movies going forward, is the fact that, uh, one, Edward can't uh, kiss her or have sex with her or he'll kill her. Which is really extreme. Um, and two, like, it, it takes an hour in this movie for Bella and Edward to kiss, which is a long time. Yeah. And it, there's so much, like, dead time between them being on the bed and deciding that this is going to happen and then actually kissing. Like, yeah, it's not dead time, but it's, like, very, it's full of tension. But it's almost not. Like, but it's I'm almost not. Yeah. Like, kiss, 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 as you often are when, you know, you're waiting for the, the kiss mm-hmm. to finally happen in the movie. And for anybody who's never heard this story, I actually think it's really funny. When, when they were casting this movie, like, I think Kristen Stewart had been cast first and they were still trying to find their Edward. And at, like, Catherine Hardwick's house, like, her actual home, she had Kristen Stewart and Rob Pattinson come in, and she they were so instantly attracted to each other, and you could feel it in the room that, like, Kristen Stewart and Rob Pattinson were, like, into each other, that, like, Catherine Hardwick had them do that scene, like, on her own bed, and then was like, oh, I can't not cast them. And to know that that is, like, what she saw and, like, what everybody was feeling in the room when it happened, and to have it not translate into screen is just, like, that is how deeply Christian this book is. It, this movie is deeply unsexy. So unsexy. Um, which makes sense, mm-hmm. because it's abstinence is good. Which, I'll say, Christian's favorite rom-com is What's Your Number? It's amazing. <laughs> it's about horrible people doing horrible things. It's, it's rated R, which is crazy for a rom-com. It is crazy. And there is this one particular part of the movie when Anna Ferris and Chris Evans, who are the two leads here, finally like get together after you know all of the shenanigans that they get up to. And she's wearing his button-down. And he comes up to her and starts like slowly unbuttoning it, which I know is a trope, but the way that it's shot... 
and how close they are together and how, like, the difference in size between the two of them and the fact that he's just, like, very slowly unbuttoning her shirt and doing nothing else. Mm. It is so hot. It is so hot. And the culmination of the scene is them deciding not to have sex, and it's still hotter than any sex scene in any movie. It is It is so very sexy. So there is a way in which you can make kind of tension and having it not be, like... Uh, like come to fruition be mm-hmm. incredibly like interesting to watch like the whole idea of pining is like the biggest trope in any kind of like will they won't they type of situation but they couldn't even make that interesting or like no. exciting in any way in this movie which is just like and people were like this is the greatest love story of the decade which no. it, I mean it wasn't um, <laughs> it definitely was not no um, no I just Part of what I think that is, is that in What's Your Number, it's pretty obvious that, like, it's not bad to want to have sex. It's just, we're deciding not to do that right now. Yeah. Whereas in Twilight, terrible things will happen to you if you have sex. Mm-hmm. Like, you might die. Yeah, you might die. Um, which is, like, literally, in Mean Girls, don't have sex because you will get pregnant and, and die. die. Which is how Breaking Dawn happens. Truly. <laughs> Could they have known when they made that? Oh my, oh my god. It's <laughs> so bad. But like again, the idea of like people <laughs> waiting is not inherently bad, but it is how misguided the like, like way that this happens is. It's exceptionally unsexy. It's not like even a little bit tantalizing to watch or like no. think about. It's like really poorly executed romance. And like, I mentioned this the other day on the podcast about how there's this whole scene in the fifth episode of Teen Wolf where Allison and Scott are running around in the woods and it's so active. They're like walking and talking. Like what were you, you you know, when you're having like a really stimulating conversation, you just kind of can't stop moving because your brain is like so engaged. Your body has to follow along. So you're like walking and doing stuff. And like, if you're on the phone, you're like twisting in the phone cord. Oh my God. What year is it? Twisting in the phone cord. You used to do that when phones had cords. (laughs) And like, that is something that you can tell that like Scott and Allison are like so have, like, a connection that is so beyond just, like, being physically attracted to each other because they have stuff to talk about. It's evident from the beginning. Like, it's so well executed in that particular episode, but, like, you can really tell that that's where their attraction stems from. It's not even that... Like, they're both hot. They're both beautiful people, and, like, that's certainly part of it, but there's something about each other's person that they, like, love. Versus uh, Twilight, there's a scene... They're also in the woods. They're also in the woods, and it's after this, like, huge revelation of Bella being like, you're a vampire, and Uh you want to kill me at all times. Um, And they're literally just, like, laying in a meadow in silence with, you know, some soaring music and, like, a camera circling around them. And it's so... It's not compelling No, I think what I I use is, like, the Scott and Allison wood scene is active, and the Bella Edward wood scene is so passive... Bella is passive. She does not... I mean, okay. All right. And the one active decision she makes in this movie is the worst decision the she could have possibly worst made. worst possible decision. And then going forward in the books, the decisions that she makes are reckless and life-endangering in New Moon. And then she g- continues to make the same choice by like choosing to be with Edward despite knowing all of the things that could potentially happen to her because of it. And like... That's the only choices that she makes. She's so passive, even when the weirdest things happen to her in this yeah. movie. Like, he is literally watching her while she sleeps. She, at one point when she's in Port Angeles with her friends, like, goes off on, on her own and gets surrounded by this group of, like, 
sailors. I'm not sure who they're supposed to be, but it's very clear that they're like about to sexually assault her. And it is truly terrifying. Like that is a scene that I think about a lot where I'm like, I would be so absolutely terrified in that situation. Mm -hmm. And she's clearly scared, but then Edward comes in and saves her and she has no questions about that. She's not like, how did you know? Like she does ask him, but then she's not freaked out about it. No. Like, she's just so like, oh, okay, I guess this is my life now. She, like, has, like, I would describe the way that Edward and Bella feel about each other as, like, being addictive. Like, mm-hmm. it is not something that actually fulfills them. It is something that just leaves them wanting more, and that's why they can't get enough of each other. And I guess that's why Bella just, like, lets it all happen. Yeah. Because it's weird. Everything that's happening to her is weird. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't ever take a moment to, like, really process it. Yeah. And, like, I think that there are examples of things where you, and, like, in vampire media where, like, let's consider true blood, like, Sookie is immediately attracted to Bill and fascinated by him, but she's also very scared and weary of him, so, like, in the first or second episode of True Blood when uh, Bill is being drained by the rat rays in the parking lot of, Mm -hmm. um... And then she saves him and puts the, the necklace She's, over she her. She saves him, but she also wraps herself in silver because she doesn't trust him. Because, I mean, a big part of True Blood is the fact that there's, like, a like racist it's, prejudice against yeah. vampires and stuff. But, like, that would happen in Twilight as well if people knew of the existence of vampires. Like, Sookie takes precautions, and so much so that, like, she ends up not trusting Bill to a point where she disinvites him from her home so he can't come to her house anymore. Mm-hmm. Which, that is a seriously lacking issue in Twilight. Like, I could think that that, like, as far as, like, extrapolating on lore goes, you can write vampires any way you want because you can borrow from any piece of vampire media or just construct your own, which I think Stephanie Meyer did. But the fact that she leaves out the, like, having to be invited into somebody's home aspect, ew. It's bad. Oh, yeah. Also, Edward should just watch it from the window then. Like, you also have that happen. I don't know why you want that to happen, but yeah. That's kind of a strange omission for her to make as well because that's about consent. Yeah. And like, at, maybe she just cares about absence and not consent. I don't know, but it's. She already makes weird claims <laughs> about like what is allowed sexually, but like doesn't talk about like. The fact that he's literally invading her personal, her privacy. Yeah. Like, and that's totally fine and cool. Like, I don't. I don't I don't understand. I don't, understand <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. It's so weird. Uh, and I think there's like, like I think that there are things that about her vampire lore which is interesting. I think the take that vampires are venomous is like wild. Wild. Like I think that that's like very cool. Like I don't know if, if I were writing a vampire story, I don't know if I would choose to do that. The fact that they don't have fangs is interesting because it makes them like sexier and, like, appear more human to the people interacting with them. I don't want to give Stephanie Meyer this much credit, but the fact that they are venomous leads us to comparing them to animals that are venomous, and specifically snakes. And a snake is the reason that Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. The, like... Yes. Yeah, got kicked out of the garden. So, like, in in the Stephanie Meyer mythology, vampires Mm -hmm. are both angelic and demonic. Which is, Mm -hmm. I think, actually how a lot of... Yeah, and, like, the, the downfall of humans. Yes. I mean, very huh. interesting. Interesting. I wonder. I wonder if that was the inspiration for it. I'm sure it was. But crazy. Also, crazy to think that like all this movie and all of the books and everything surrounding this franchise came from a dream that Stephanie Meyer had that she wrote down, and really? then extrapolated from there. 
Yeah, the reason that she wrote the book is because she had a dream of Bella and Edward laying in a meadow. And I don't know if she knew who they were at that point, but, like, she had this really vivid dream of, like, a man and a woman laying in a meadow. And she sat down and, like, she wrote that scene, and that is where Twilight came from. Like, she extrapolated from there. I mean, that meadow is the Garden of Eden. It, it, what, 100% is. Yeah. Um, And then when she goes back to the meadow in New Moon, it's, like, all, everything's dead and gone, and it's, like, because they they had left the garden. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Edward left her. Crazy. Um, so, so there is like a way where you make vampires religiously interesting. I just don't think Stephanie Meyer did. <laughs> well, because she wants them. The, the whole point of like vampires is that they are an aberration, and they mm-hmm. like can't say the name of God, and they can't go into churches, and they can't. They're like they can't have a crucifix on them. Like they are abnormal. They are demonic, despite looking like mm-hmm. angels, and so. She really was trying to, like, flip that on its head, but I don't think she thought it out enough. No, because I think it would be way more interesting for the Cullens not be, to be able to say the name of God or, like, mm-hmm. you know. And they have this giant cross in their house, which is, like, actually set design so cool and interesting. There's just an, a, it's not inverted, but it's overturned by their staircase, you know? Mm-hmm. So to the point where, like, somebody who was just walking in their home wouldn't probably consider too much about it. Um... But, like, the fact that it is there, like, as an artistic decision, I think is, one, very good set dressing, but two, it's also like, oh, they can walk amongst, like, religious figures perfectly because Stephanie Meyer has designed them to be... Yeah, yeah. well, and then the sure, Volturi... in a weird way. The Volturi essentially are, like, the Vatican. They you are. Know, like, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, well, speaking of things that are dumb, but yes. also things that we are dumb really like, So we're only speaking about things that are dumb. The baseball scene. Oh my god, it's so good. It is so good. And when we're talking about, like, inventions of Stephanie Meyer and, like, whether or not they're interesting or good or well thought out, like, I never in my life would have sat down and thought about, (laughs) hmm, how do vampires play play baseball? baseball. And, I mean, it makes sense that they're interested in baseball because it's, like, the oldest American sport, whatever. And they are all, like, with the exception of Carlisle, American vampires. Yeah. And they all were American vampires around the turn of the 20th century, like, to the 1930s, which is when baseball was, like, a thing. Sport. Yeah. Now people are like, God, baseball is boring <laughs> because, we like, people, I mean, like, America's sport has turned to football or whatever. But she didn't ask herself, how do vampires play football? Or, like, what do they do to entertain themselves? It was baseball. It was baseball. And, like, the fact that her solution is that it has to be set during, like, a thunderstorm Brilliant. Brilliant. That is really smart. Her mind. Her mind. <laughs> like, that's just is so good. Is Stephanie Meyer the Carolyn Galloway of vampire books? Yes. Yes. Her mind. Her mind. Um, I, I'm pulling that from Sassy Black Diva on Twitter, and if any of you are caring about the Caroline Calloway saga, you should go follow her because she reports on it daily, and I love it. Um, sidebar. But, sidebar. But here's my thing. Okay, like, logistically. A human person hitting a baseball hard enough can knock the cover off a baseball. They need, like, steel baseballs. But they play with a normal baseball and a normal bat, but in theory, they would break. In theory, yes. Especially because they make so much noise that they need thunder to cover up the evidence of them playing baseball. Yeah. There are also places... 
this just again goes to like I mean Carlisle wants to be a doctor and I guess he decides like where they all go but literally you can live out in the middle of nowhere Montana and there's no one around you for miles and miles and miles and miles and you can play baseball whenever you want it doesn't matter if there's yeah. a lightning storm but but that's why it kind of seems like they have those friends in Alaska that they meet later it kind of assumes that those yes. friends in Alaska just like live in Alaska which like if you want to be alone and you are unbothered by the weather and like don't want to be in the sunlight Alaska. Alaska's a great place to do that. It really is. Um, so, like, you know what is always crazy? Like, when you have to consider just how big Alaska is? It's massive. It's yeah. so huge. So, you know how, like, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, they each have, like, about 11,000 lakes per state, which is, like, why Minnesota is, like, the land of whatever many lakes. 10,000 lakes, yeah. yes. There's 11,000 lakes in each of the Great Lakes states, those three. There are three million lakes in Alaska. That is how big Alaska is. They could go live in Alaska, never see another living human, eat polar bears, and just live their goddamn lives. But no, they end up in forks. Uh, and Carlisle could actually still be a doctor out there because they could go... He could actually just go be, like, one of those people who does the right thing and actually offers medical services to um, First Nations and Native people on, like, northern reservations. They wouldn't let like, him. Oh, you're right. They wouldn't let him. But that's only the that's only the Quileutes. I feel like, hmm, I feel like the indigenous peoples of Alaska might have a similar right. beef with that's vampires fair. because they're an aberration. They're like they're not of nature. Yeah. Okay. Um, the uh, like the way that like um, native like lore is like presented in Twilight is just. Not good. It's not good. It's not well researched. It's fairly poorly researched. Um, a lot of things are like na- conflated between different native traditions that just nobody nobody ever questioned. I guess if you you know, it's very strange. Taylor Lautner is not native, but the actors who play the other indigenous characters yeah. later on in the books, most of them are. Um, which I think was I a actually very- do think Taylor Lautner is native. It's just one of those like one sixteenth deals. Possibly. Oh my god, Cody Christian should have been in this movie. He would have been too young. Cody Christian would have been definitely too young. Cody Christian is younger than us. He is. He's a BB. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that was pretty forward thinking of the casting directors when they were making this film and then when they made the other films where it's more prevalent. Um, but it just it kind of doesn't make up for the fact that like I'm sorry, I was just looking up Taylor Lautner's. <laughs> okay. Well, he has distant Native American ancestry. Yeah, see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Let's like, talk about Edward and Jacob. Not Edward and Jacob. Let's talk about Bella and Jacob for just a second, though. Where, like, Bella's only, like, normal conversations that don't happen with her high school friends are with Jacob. Are with Jacob. They're so much more compelling and, like, interesting to watch because they're acting like normal people. Yes. And, like, Taylor Lautner's not a great actor, but he's just being himself which is not hard and yeah. like speaking like a normal person yeah <laughs> like he, it's I mean like there's not really a lot for him to work on so it's no. just kind of like Taylor Lautner charm where I'm sure if I ever met Taylor Lautner I'd be like what a charming young man yeah um but like and this is something that I remember talking about with my sisters um when New Moon was coming out where my sister my older sister was like why doesn't she want to be with Jacob I know he's a werewolf but he's also like a human being and I was like yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you ever read Blogging Twilight? No. Blogging Twilight was a series on Sparknotes where if you weren't a nerd in high school and don't know this, 
Sparknotes has been, like, creating its own content for, like, since its inception. So, like, we were talking about this the other day. It's crazy. You obviously can go on Sparknotes and get the Sparknotes of a book you're reading, but they also do, like, there was, like, quizzes, and they do, like, video crash courses of things, and, like, Sparknotes was always really, if you were, like, nerdy and interested in literature, a fun place to be on the internet before, like, Tumblr, basically, or, like... And YouTube. And YouTube. And there was a series when Twilight came out called Blogging Twilight, where this guy named Dan went through and blogged about every chapter of Twilight and just called out about how ridiculous it was. And he, like us, had very good opinions on Charlie, but also it was like, why doesn't Bella want to be with human Mike? Which, like, (laughs) Mike doesn't actually have a lot to offer, but he is, like, a human who treats her normally and is, like, invested in her happiness and isn't a fucking vampire. (laughs) He doesn't want to eat her, which is, like... Very sexy. Very sexy. That he does not want to eat the woman he's with. (laughs) I mean, I get... Vampires are just kind of like the rebound boyfriend for women. Like, you know, you have a relationship with a vampire and that, like, leads you to understanding that you need to be with, like, a human man who's going to treat you right. Like, But the fact that Edward is kind of this end-all, be-all... Is so weird. Even Sookie leaves Bill for a werewolf. Because it's such a... You know, vampires and werewolves. What I wish we had gotten from Twilight is a better explanation of why Bella chooses Edward. Because, like, yes, she has the shield, and he can't hear her thoughts... Um, which I'm sure gets explained in the movie, but we were talking a lot, so I don't remember that specific exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he can't hear her thoughts, and, like, she... So that makes sense why Edward is in love with her. But I, I still, like, when she got changed into a vampire, I wanted there to be some sort of explanation as to, like, why. Because the werewolves, while incredibly creepy, have imprinting, where... Like Jacob imprints on her infant daughter, which is terrible and awful, deeply gross, deeply disgusting. Even though her daughter grows at like a freakish rate, and like it's kind of like being betrothed almost to like a person that you don't know. Um, it's deeply creepy. I'm not defending it, yeah. but like at least it's an explanation for that like soulmate connection that mm-hmm. makes you want to like kill yourself and jump off a cliff, yeah. which she does. Like I wanted there to be more of an explanation. But I never got one. Yeah. No, and I also just think it's absurd that, you know, Bella does kind of have a a relationship with Jacob where, like, she does consider him a romantic partner for at least New Moon. But she's never, like, she, there's never a part of her that ever, like, stops loving Edward in absence where, like, that's just not normal people thing. Like, yes, breakups like that hurt immensely. And, like, the fact that part of New Moon is just eight pages of the months passing because that's how depressed she is is actually a very good metaphor <laughs> for progression. Yeah. Um, but, like, even... And to talk, I know I've been talking about True Blood a lot, but it's, it's closest comparison. Like, mm-hmm. Sookie originally loves Bill because she can't hear his thoughts. And she doesn't have to hear, like... Even if he thinks things about her that she finds unsavory, she doesn't have to know about them, which is, like, why it's wonderful to not be able to hear people's thoughts. If I heard every creep's thoughts on the fucking subway home, I'd be like, I want to die. Yeah, you would jump in front of a train. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... But it's understood why she has those feelings for him. But it also is understood why Suki stops dating him for a while. Because he starts manipulating her. And she recognizes that as being something that she doesn't want anymore in her life. And then she is with uh, Eric for a while, which is really weird. But like when she starts... Er, Suki ends up with a human. That's how mm-hmm. Drupal ends. Bill dies. 
She kills him. Spoiler alert. Actually, no. That show's been off the air for a really long time. I didn't know that. Well, now you know. Yeah. But Bill asks Sookie to kill him, and she does. And that she ends up with a person. She ends up with a human, because she's understood that, like, her dipping her toes into the supernatural of having a power dynamic always held over her, because she is, for the most of the series, just a human with an extraordinary ability. She realizes that she no longer wants that, and, like, the stability of, like, having human relationships is, like, what is something she Mm -hmm. ultimately needs. Bella never, ever, ever considers that there is a serious issue with the fact that Edward could kill her at any moment. At any time. She's excited by the idea. It's weird. Which I get. That's... I think that's kind of... It's not normal, but it is a thing that happens. It's like the death wish. Like... Yeah. And... Psychology. I mean, but he is so... Not a good boyfriend. Like, he gaslights her. He watches her while she sleeps without her consent. I mean, you even say that the scene in the hospital where he's like, Bella, you don't understand. You hit your head is, like, how gaslighting should be explained. Prime gaslighting. Like, they should show that in health classes because it is such a prevalent issue with people. And, like, I've been gaslit by so many men in my life and, like, didn't realize it until I had the tools to understand it. But that is just such a good example of... A man taking advantage of the fact that you are in a position where you might not remember things clearly and is using that to establish your reliance on them being the one to tell the truth. Yeah. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And, like, we were talking about this last night about how I didn't... I was going on and on about the fact that they don't ever really talk and it doesn't really make sense why they fall in love so quickly. But I remember being 17 and I remember how that feels. So that... That's real. Mm-hmm. But also, I, rem- I th- Bella's what? Like, 20? Or, she's 18 when she gets turned? Mm-hmm. 18 or 19. 18 or 19. I can't imagine anyone... If anyone had let me make this irreversible, life-altering decision at 19... Oh, my God! I, I can barely make like, irreversible, life-altering decisions now at 25 because I'm terrified that I will make the wrong choice. Yeah. And she is so certain that that's what she wants. And in the hospital, at the end, the second time Bella's in the hospital, actually, um, after she's almost killed in a plot device that doesn't really make any sense because she gets bitten and then Edward sucks out the poison but also is kind of biting her at the same time. Um, I guess there's no teeth going. (laughs) I guess. I guess. But he didn't bite her lot like hard enough for Edward to be sucking as much blood out of her as he actually is. I feel like he needed to make the wound yeah bigger. But he tells her he's like, "You literally almost died. You severed your femoral artery in your leg and almost bled to death in this ballet studio, which is a great horror conceit. Like all of the mirrors, I loved that. But Mm -hmm. and he's like, we shouldn't be together. And she. First of all, has a stroke while she's answering him because she's like, no. What do you mean? Like, he's like, uh, prove that you're very, um, you know, mortal. So So she's like, okay, okay, no, no. Like, she's just so upset. And I'm like, you almost died. Yeah. And it's his fault. Well, no, it's your fault because you're an idiot. Yeah, true. Because the reason that she goes there is because she gets some manipulative phone call from Cam Gajandit James. The terrible, terrible I really don't think that's how his last name is pronounced. I, you know what? But I'm not going to look it up, so we're good. Tweeted us with a video yeah. pronouncing his <laughs> name. Um, she is so easily manipulated. She's such an idiot. Like, no offense, 
But yeah, Bella's so dumb. Okay, so now that we've kind of established, there are things we like about this movie. There are things we don't like about this movie. We've been talking about it for hours. About what we don't like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, aesthetically, this movie is wonderful. The prom scene, the mise en scene of the prom scene is like, God, I wish my prom looked that beautiful. Like, overlooking the, you know, the mountains and the water. It's gorgeous. It's like, everything about this It's movie, like a wedding. Yeah, and yeah. everything about this movie, like... It's like, oh my god, I want to run away to the Pacific Northwest and like live in the woods and have all these like romantic adventures. But then you break down those romantic adventures and you're like, oh, oh no, <laughs> oh, that's gross, oh nasty. Um, so again, like there are things about Twilight we like. We love the soundtrack. We love the baseball scene. We love the baseball the scene. The only comparable to the baseball scene is actually another scene in What's Your Number where Chris Evans and Anna Ferris played basketball in TD Garden. It's feminist amazing. Feminist literature. It is feminist literature. The Black Eyed Peas are playing. It's wonderful. <laughs> so, like, there are parts of this movie that, like, excite you. There are parts about this movie that are interesting and fun to watch. But it's also still Twilight. It's still Twilight. So now I want to just talk quickly about where our lead actors ended up post-Twilight, because their lives could not have been more documented than when they were happening in Twilight. Like, you couldn't go a single day without hearing about our Pats and Case do, which are really boring and obvious nicknames that should have thought of something better. They really should. About their breakup, about, like, their relationship. You know, you couldn't go a single day without being like, why is Rob Pattinson so dirty. Turns out Rob Benton had a crippling depression and just couldn't wash his hair, which makes you really sad to think about like how much of their lives were occupied by this film franchise. A film franchise that they, I think, both resent. Um, oh, for sure. They were joking at TIFF about how they would both go back and make another one. But I think only in the way that we're so past the Twilight you know... That it would actually just be going to, like, go make a movie with your friends at this point. And I think that Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart have sort of, like, familial love for each other still that probably won't go away after this ordeal. But both of them, after doing this, basically just became indie darlings. Which is funny because that's how the first movie started. (laughs) Yes. And now, I mean, it's interesting because Robert Pattinson's still in that realm and, like, doing very well for himself. But Kristen Stewart's kind of transitioning back into really big films. Like, she's going to be in the new Charlie's Angels. Well, Robinson is about to be Batman, so don't... That, oh, that's true. I forgot about that. I think he's going to be great. Yeah, oh, me too. But they both took 10 years to do projects that they cared about. And I'm sure that is very much like a self-care thing, mm-hmm. where Kristen Stewart did a bunch of indie films. And some bigger stuff, too. Like, she did a Snow White movie that was really big. Um, she's also in The Runaways, which is the only movie I've ever liked Dakota Fanning in. But I also, like, love The Runaways, so, like, it's a little <laughs> bit just because I like them. Um, where she played Joan Jett, and she looks so much like Joan Jett, and her performance is really good and interesting and fun. Like, they've both done projects now that are, you know, were basically recovery from Twilight. And they were so young, when this so started, I think comparably, although much worse, is the Harry Potter trio yeah. of like literally growing up in this spotlight from the time that you're 11 years old. Um, and we know for a fact that Dan Radcliffe struggled seriously with alcoholism and like. And now is also doing like indie films and projects that he really cares about. And some of them are very good. And Rupert Grint's like an ice cream man. Yeah, Rupert Grint yeah. is, I think, probably got done with that and was like, I have more money than I'll ever need need in my life. And part of it, he might just not be very interested in acting anymore, which when you're a child, and, like, Mm -hmm. there's a reason why child stars quit acting. It's because it wasn't really their choice when they're younger, and then they're like, I hate this. 
Um, so if he just wants to live on his Harry Potter money and, like, just, you know, live privately, more power to him. Good for him. And Emma Watson has done some good movies and some less good movies, but it's kind of taking a Dan Rad approach where she's not doing huge things, you know? Yeah, and she's also very interested in, like, activism, um, which I think must have been spurred by her experience growing up uh, as a child star and men who, like, literally made a website counting down to when she was 18. Like That happened to Natalie Portman as well, who is yeah. also somebody who's very invested in activism. So, it's really that. interesting to see these... Tra- I mean, obviously, like, Chris's was 18, and there's a huge difference between being, like, 11 and being 18, but still, mm-hmm. a child. I was yeah. a child at 18. Oh, yeah. Like... And Rob Pattinson was not much older than her. I think he was probably 2021. 20, he was 22. 22. So not... I mean... But it seriously takes a toll on you as a young person to yeah. be thrust into that kind of international spotlight. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they've both done things before. Like, Kristen Stewart had been acting for a very long time. She started acting at a really young age. Um, and Rob Pattinson was also an actor in his teens. He was obviously in Harry Potter as Cedric Diggory and... I just think that neither of them could have predicted how Twilight was going to affect their lives, but it then ultimately ended them pushing them into doing very interesting artistic projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Kristen Stewart, I think, is in Charlie's Angels, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Then, like, now they're pushing back into things that, you know, someone has to pay for their summer home or whatever, like, stuff like that. But it is kind of, I feel like a weird pride for both of them having, you know, survived this. And, um... I just watched High Life, which, if you haven't seen, why would you have seen it? It was a Claire Denis movie, and Claire Denis is a French director um, who, this was her first English language film, and it is deeply disturbing, like, huge trigger warning if you ever want to watch it, but it is on Amazon, and it's fascinating, Um, and it's a space movie, and Rob Pattinson, when he got done with Twilight, wanted nothing more than to work with Claire Denis, who is, like, a, a director who... So many people want to work with, and so many people are inspired by. Um, and she originally was going to cast a much older person in this role uh, in High Life. And when he approached her, when Rob Pattinson approached her, he had only just finished Twilight because it took five years or so for them to actually make High Life. And that was the only thing really on his resume that was big. And she sat down with him, and after like an hour conversation, decided that he was going to be who she cast. So Rob Pattinson must be like very charming and deeply artistically minded for her to, to be pushed into that decision. Um, so it's so interesting that so much of their career is defined by these Twilight movies. When so we really have Twilight to thank. We have Twilight to thank. But both of these, these, these actors are capable of other things. Kristen Stewart less so than Rob Pattinson, but I just, you know... It would be remiss to not mention Anna Kendrick as well, who oh, is yeah. also in this movie, and uh, yes, her boobs look amazing in that dress. They do. Um, and because the thing is, and I think that you mentioned this to me the other day, that Anna Kendrick was basically like, Twilight let me do all of the things that I wanted to do. Yeah. Like, it financed her career, and she went on to be in this deeply sad but great movie called Up in the Air with George Clooney. Um which she, like, people really started taking notice of her after that movie because it's just so, like, deeply affecting. I thought about it for days after I saw it. And then... Did you read the book? No. Oh, okay. I didn't even know there was a book. Yeah. Cool. Um, it was a bestseller. But she, like... She has publicly said that, especially because she didn't get paid nearly anything on Up in the Air, mm-hmm. she had to use her Twilight money to, like, get her to the Oscars that year because Up in the Air was such a big movie. 
but she was very, like, was not paid well at all to be in it, and Twilight let her do that movie, and get, you know, pushed her into stardom. Yeah, and, and now she gets to do things that she wants to do, yeah. I assume, like, Into the Woods and Pitch Perfect, and, mm-hmm. you know, even though Pitch Perfect turned into this juggernaut that I hate. Um, oh, the first two are so good, though. The first two are excellent, and then, like... The fact that they didn't let her character be gay was really annoying, though. Your sweat smells like cinnamon. Literally, Damn. the shower scene between her, her and, and Brittany Snow. Snow. Oh, so good. It's really it's sexy. It's so funny. Like, if I didn't know I was gay, like, before I watched that movie, I sure as hell would have known afterwards. Yeah. Like, no, but we've gone off on a tangent yeah. here about Pitch Perfect, which the first two, again, are amazing. But Twilight didn't watch these careers of people who ended up being highly touted and very talented. And even though it is was the biggest joke of pop culture at the time, it was also one of the only really big pieces of monoculture at the time where, like, everybody had seen Twilight and knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a figure, actually, before we started doing this that I thought was really interesting and wanted to share with you all about kind of the impact of Twilight. But there's a siren happening right Sorry, now. Sorry, guys. We live down the block from a fire station, so the sirens are going to be nonstop. Uh, and also next to a very busy road. Yep. So. <laughs> that was a fire truck saying hi. Yeah. Beep beep. Why is it still happening? I don't know. I hope everyone's okay. I don't want to be annoyed by this because clearly there's an emergency. I think about that once a day. I'm like, who who's the fire truck for? Um... Okay, so the thing about Twilight, this first movie, which was, like, an indie movie, the only one of the Twilight series directed by Catherine Hardwick, directed by a woman, which was such a mistake that, A, they replaced Catherine Hardwick in general, but, B, that they didn't replace her with another woman. I don't understand that at all. But, like, on its opening weekend, this film made $69.5 million. Nice. Nice. Also, that was the biggest opening for a film directed by a woman and about a woman until 2017 when Wonder Woman came out. That is bonkers to me. Yeah. That is almost a 10-year gap. I have said this before, and I don't necessarily know if there's a lot of, like, psychological study to back this up, but the reason why women like rom-coms is less about, like, the actual rom-com or, like, romantic interest in the movie. It's about... Rom-coms are some of the only movies... Where the entire narration of the movie is center, centered around woman. Yeah. Yeah. Which is impressive. So why would I not want to watch a movie that's, you know... And also a movie that speaks directly to teen girls, which yeah. a lot of media doesn't do. Um, there's very little of it. Or there was very little of it. It's teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. I mean, I think it's getting better. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's more and more um, for teen girls to consume. Yeah. But, but also the Vampire Diaries. I think there's a lot of media made for teen girls. It's just not very good. And now it's getting better. This this movie really tried to take itself seriously. Yeah. And I think that that was a thing that people really appreciated. And by people, I mean 14-year-old girls. Yes. Um, all right. So I think... We're just going to rate this movie really quick. Yeah, we're going to give you a quick grade. Yeah. Um, before we do that, I want you all to know that Roger Ebert uh, graded this 2.5 out of 4 stars, and it's got a 49% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I don't know what I would have guessed its Rotten Tomatoes score to be. It's very middling. Very middling. Yeah. What are the, uh, what are the other Rotten Tomato scores for these movies? Uh, that's a great question. Here are Why don't I... you look it up, and I'll talk about what we rate this movie. Yeah. So if I am rating this, like, from... Somebody who, like, does enjoy watching this movie, I would give it a B. Because, again, it's one of my chicken soup movies. 
But if I'm rating this as a person who watches movies, it's a C minus for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I personally would give it a C plus. Oh. Um, the others all get straight Fs. So it, like oh the yeah. C, the C minus I'm giving it is very like. Well, let's see. New Moon has twenty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. What okay. are the other ones? Uh, what was the third one called? I literally. Eclipse. Oh yeah, I just forget about a the plot of Eclipse. Bryce Dallas Howard's in Eclipse. Which I hate. That's like there are a couple of actors in this in this franchise where you're like you are too good to be here. Like the actor who plays Laurent has a like a grad degree from Tish. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Eclipse did much better. It's got a forty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Eclipse was the best book. Breaking Dawn Part One. Yeah. Um, forty five percent. Okay. Breaking Dawn Part Two. 49%. Okay, so this series is not, like, the worst thing it's that's ever been made. mediocre, except for New Moon, which is objectively bad. I actually left the theater scene. <laughs> I sat through the whole thing, but I had a great time. Okay. So what would you... You said you were going to give it a C+. Plus? C+. Plus. Well, all right. I think that leads us to the end of our first bonus episode. Um, we really hope you guys sit through the whole thing and listen. But if you don't, that's totally cool. We have just decided that we're going to try to do bonus episodes every once in a while to shake up our Teen Wolf talk, but also just because we know that there's more things we want to talk about in the world than just Teen Wolf. We're huge consumers and critics of media, so if there's ever a bonus episode that you'd like us to do, uh, we'd be happy to hear your suggestions. Please tweet at us. Um, Please tweet at us. It gets lonely having these discussions on our couch, just the two of us. Yeah, so we want you guys to be engaged as well. We have some other bonus episodes coming up planned for this month, um, because it's Halloween is coming up and that's our favorite holiday. Uh, air you feel the need or the compulsion, please review us on iTunes. It's how we find new listeners. Um, and if you don't already, you can follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf, where mostly we tweet about Teen Wolf, but also, as I said, more bonus episodes where we talk about movies that are coming your way. Um, let us know if you liked this. Um, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna keep doing them, but we're gonna know whether or not you liked it. We're doing these, so. But, uh, we would like to know if you liked it or not. We sure would. Mm -hmm. Um, our next episode will be coming out Wednesday where we talk about episode six of the first season of Teen Wolf. And other than that, we hope you guys had a really wonderful weekend. Teen Wolf out. Teen Wolf out. Bye. Bye.